0: I think about when I wake up every day is when can I go to sleep again?
1: What it is, what it do. This is Rambling, your weekly Rams podcast that gives you insight of the team and news from around the NFL. I'm your host and team reporter, Serena Morales, coming at you from beautiful Agora Hills, California as we head into week five. The Rams are now 3-1 and one after a tough loss in the Coliseum against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Joining me today, she's one of the smartest people I know. You can find her all over ESPN as an injury analyst. She's also part of one of the most popular podcasts in the universe. True Story, the fantasy-focused football <laughs> podcast with Field Yates and Matthew Barry Stefania the craziest part about this whole thing is that you graduated from Princeton with a degree in French literature and somehow <laughs> all this other th- happened
0: <laughs> I know I'm so proud that's where it led me <laughs> everyone's doing it wrong <laughs> yeah well listen um I have to you know in in all seriousness it is funny I tell this story all the time because um it, it, as you probably know but i a lot of people don't know I'm a physical therapist. That's that was my my training. And people are like, "How on earth did you go from French literature major at Princeton to physical therapy as a profession to talking about uh fantasy football and uh, other things at ESPN?" And I don't want to ruin your whole podcast and take a lot of time, but the Bring bottom it line, on. <laughs> I worked, I worked as a <laughs> I worked as a student athletic trainer at Princeton. That's how I you know, we had work study back in the day where you had to work and help pay for uh, your, your education. And so I, uh, I worked in the training room, and I loved it. I mean, I, I worked a lot of hours. I probably could have done better in school if I actually had not worked so many hours. But that's what actually changed my career path. I always wanted to go into surgery. I thought I'd be an orthopedic surgeon. And I really, really liked the rehab aspect, mostly because you spent so much time with the athletes. And I felt like the one-on-one relationships were um, part part of what was more rewarding about that. So that's the path I chose to go. As for why I majored in French literature, I spoke French as a kid because I spent some time in France. I wanted to be a lit major knowing I would be doing science for the rest of my life. And I just happened to like reading in French more than English at the time. So that was that. Um, And I'm actually very grateful for it because at Princeton, you have to write a thesis. Uh, you have junior papers you have to write. And all of that writing is factored into why I could be hired as a writer at ESPN. Um, well, you, but I worked as business. Go ahead.
2: I was just going to say you have I, so many options to choose from. Like my major, <laughs> I was in sports broadcasting. So I have like one thing that you I can have do. have one choice. Yeah. I don't well, know what i funny, I'm, this or McDonald's for me.
0: It's funny you say that because when I majored in French literature, and you know, Princeton is a, a liberal arts school. That's a, there, there aren't as many... I mean, actually, now there are all these really diverse, uh, interesting programs, but it was basically liberal arts. And, and I always believed and my parents supported that I, you went to college to learn how to learn. And uh, I didn't need to go to train for a career, even though I had all this idea all along that I'd be pre med. But that learning how to learn is probably the thing that served me best as an adult. And uh, when I went to grad school, University of Miami, go Canes, um, (laughs) that's where I went to physical therapy school and then worked in sports medicine for about 20 years and just happened to play fantasy football passionately for, uh, I probably was playing for 10 years before I came to ESPN. So I was playing back in the dark ages when it wasn't online, um, which is just, uh, I know. I know. Serena, you probably don't remember? A time when there were things I'm like, that were, were we faxing <laughs> in our our, <laughs> our team <teammates>. <laughs> yeah. <Live> roster. Carrier <laughs> pigeon. <laughs> Back in the day, where you dialed, you know, rotary phones and um, had to check box scores. That's how we did it. But it was really fun. It was super competitive, and people were always asking me injury questions in my league because I was working as a PT, and I worked with athletes from uh, high school up to. D1 and pro. So they always wanted to know about recovery times. I thought, you know, this there's something here and maybe I can translate this into working in sports because I loved working with athletes on the PT and rehab side. And I also was teaching in PT programs, but I really was passionate about sports and viewing sports and watching sports and talking sports and I knew I couldn't do all the hands-on physical therapy forever because it does take a toll on your joints, especially in your wrists and hands. So I uh, just started poking around in the world of fantasy sports and one thing led to another and I met Matthew Barry through the Fantasy Sports Trade Association and ultimately he brought me into ESPN from an audition. I'd been doing a little bit of radio uh, with Rotowire when they launched a partnership with SiriusXM. Never done... TV before, as far as this stuff goes, and uh, didn't know what I was doing. Was sure when I auditioned that that was the one and only visit I'd ever make to ESPN, and somehow they decided they'd take a chance. So, (laughs) dreams do come true
1: (laughs) from (laughs) French literature. I don't even know enough about French literature to be like sacre bleu. Like, I don't know anything (laughs) to even give (laughs) you. uh...
0: (laughs) Yeah,
2: I can order wine. I think that's it.
1: Yeah, wine.
0: I can order some wine. I gotta tell you. I read, you know, the the French. There was some, there was some literature that was racy. I mean, think of the Marquis de Sade and all the, you know, reading the French literature was much more interesting than reading the uh, British or uh, American literature as it evolved. I and so, you know, I don't know what that says about me, but the stuff was pretty racy, and I liked it. That's how I got, I got away with going to class and talking about stuff like this for four years. Right. Like while
1: you're doing physical therapy, you're like, listen, I just learned, I just read this great piece. French literature and they're just like oh so it's like you get to like reteach yourself because you got to explain it to you know an athlete that's like go ahead talk to me <laughs> like, yeah I don't want to talk about I'm sports an anymore hour. yeah I'm here for an hour you kind of have to get through this anyway so you're stuck Look,
0: when I was when I was at Princeton I was dealing with athletes who were also pre-med who were like better than I was by far at organic chemistry and calculus and things like that so uh you know we we worked it out. I had a lot of smart athlete friends. It's true, very excellent athletes at Princeton, record setters. In fact, who are now like orthopedic surgeons and doing great things in medicine um, because they they weren't going to take their athletic career beyond Princeton. I will say now, though, we do have a couple players in the NFL, including a backup quarterback at the Kansas City Chiefs. So you know, we've done some things.
1: For sure, and it, Matt is making a face as he's. Uh, his I'm fuck. trying to.
2: I'm trying to think of who it is. What kind right of now.
1: face? Because <laughs> he's a he, he loves Patrick Mahomes.
2: Well, I'm from Kansas City, so, so
1: he has a good excuse.
0: Oh, for that. I, you know, I lived in Kansas City for four years. Kansas
2: or Missouri side? I
0: live Well, I taught at KU, so I oh, lived okay. on the on the Kansas side. Why are you gonna? Are you gonna give me grief for no, that? No, I'll <laughs> let it
2: be. I'll let it be since <laughs> you're on the podcast. But the Missouri side is where it's at. I'm just saying. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, look, we knew on Sundays that Missouri side was where it was at. At least when I lived. Because, you know, we knew right where the state line was. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Fair enough.
1: I will say we don't give uh, enough credit to, like, athletes in in college and in the pros in general for their smarts. Um, One of those guys that is extremely smart is Cooper Cup. We've seen... You tweeted out recently that you continue to be amazed by Cooper Cup's elite agility and quickness, less than a year removed from his ACL reconstruction. That is all. And I can't <laughs> agree with you more because I think all Rams fans are staring at this guy and they're like, How the what the weren't you out? Like, what's happening? Cooper <laughs> Cup. <laughs> Cooper Cup. Um, what makes this situation so unique, Stefania?
0: Well, you, you actually put your finger on it by just talking about him as a person. I mean, I think, uh, and, and I talked with, uh, Reggie Scott and who's, uh, the director of sports medicine performance, as you are well aware, Mm -hmm. um, at at the Rams and Dr. Neil Elitrash, who's the head team physician, and they both put it right back on Cooper Cup as far as all the credit for how he has recovered from this. Obviously they, they played a central role and he gave them a, a bunch of credit, but I think the reason I want to point it out is because people take ACL recovery for granted at this point. And part of it is because it's just become so common as far as an injury, especially in the NFL. I mean, we hear about, oh, you know, just was last week, Bradley said the linebacker for the Broncos, towards his ACL. I mean, this happens a lot in football. And I think because surgery has advanced in, in terms of uh, how the surgery is performed, the immediate um, the, the way we treat athletes immediately post op, I mean, back in the old days, they used to put them in a cast. No one even would think about that anymore because it causes so many problems. Uh, we get them moving early now after ACL repair. And so uh, everything's evolved, but even within that, there's a wide range of outcomes. You know, some guys never really get back to their former self or they have issues. If you think about uh Thomas Davis um, who used to be with the Panthers and I now the chargers I believe but he had uh, he had three surgeries before he recovered from JCLL and tore it three times um, so not everyone has this easy what looks easy and it's not easy I shouldn't use that word but really this um, linear road back and in order to achieve that it's really as much on the player to follow everything that they're told to do, and then to maximize it by, you know, even as simple things like feedback to the medical staff about how they're doing, how they're recovering, if today's a good day or not a good day, make adjustments in the rehab. And I think it's all of those things together that produce what you're seeing on the field with Cooper Cup.
1: Yeah. And I think that's why maybe we don't see this more, but it's something that I do think because... You're dependent on the other, the, the athlete as well as the team doctors and medical staff. Are we? Could we possibly see with the advancement of you know medical um, like surgeries? Do we see like you know how baseball players like Tommy John surgery is done earlier just to prevent? Like, can we do this for certain injuries in the NFL?
0: Yeah, I think that um, I think that with everything you're you're going to see things evolve in terms of the rehab process and uh but from both sides you know mm-hmm. and I think players are taking such an interest more so and you know I'm, I'm speaking generally there are still guys who really don't do everything they could to maximize their uh rehab and some who just come in and they're more the passive type and it's this is personality, too. You know, totally. just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. I'm here. I'll, I'll do it. Whereas other guys take a very active involvement, like, what what can I be doing on the outside? What can I do to change my diet? What can I be doing at home in addition to what I'm doing here? Uh, so that that's because of human nature. That aspect will probably never really change. But I think players, now that there's so much data they can gather that measures how they're performing, they're taking, in general, a more active interest in how they're progressing and looking at things that they can do to optimize that. And as far as technology, there's a lot of technology in advancement in that side in terms of analytics and performance metrics, but there's also advancements surgically. I mean, if we look at uh, Drew Brees, for example, who just had an ulnar collateral ligament thumb repair, courtesy of Aaron Donald, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> what? <laughs> uh,
2: High five! <laughs> High
0: five! <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know he didn't mean it. He no. just he, he just happened to hit him at the wrong angle, bent his thumb backwards. But um, you know, uh, Drew Brees had surgery in Los Angeles with Dr. Stephen Sin, who actually uh, works at and jobe where Dr. Neil Elatras is, and uh, Dr. Sin has been very progressive in advancing a what they call an. A, an augmented repair where they're basically using a synthetic tape that reinforces the ligament repair that he's doing in the thumb. And this allows the athlete to rehab more quickly. We've heard about Drew Brees already gripping a football, which is great. And uh, it allows them to return to activity uh, a, a little bit more quickly and with less concern for re-injury. So you know, that's just one example, but things like that are happening all the time.
2: I'm just kind of curious. So it feels like over the last 10 years, like 10 years ago, we saw guys just taping their ankles like crazy. And it seemed like there were a ton of knee injuries after that. And then they let up on the ankle, t- like the ankle tape and focus more on preventing knee stuff. And now all of a sudden, everybody's blowing out their Achilles. Is yeah. there anything like, uh, is the there hip any bones correlation? To yeah, the- exactly. Like you go too far one way, you're popping the other.
0: Oh, those kind of questions are always in the air. I mean, if you looked in on some of the discussions in the sports medicine world, when the, the, you know there are national conferences and meetings every year, I try to go to uh, big sports medicine society meeting because all of the top sports medicine physicians are there, and a number of the you know top physical therapists um, go to the our national physical therapy meeting uh, because. All the specialists are there at this meeting in February where we talk about, you know, trends and rehab in orthopedics and sports, as well as a variety of other things, but for our purposes here, ortho and sports. And these are the questions that are circulating all the time because that's the holy grail is injury prevention, but we haven't really found a good way to do that. And certainly in PT, we understand and we preach constantly that things are not injured in isolation. We tend to talk about it in the media like so-and-so had this knee injury you know and then how often do you hear then they had this but it's unrelated and Mm -hmm. every time I hear that I cringe And like that rarely I mean if you stub your toe and then you sprain your pinky finger those are probably unrelated but if you have anything in the lower extremity if you have a foot and ankle injury come back from that later you have a knee don't forget Cooper Cup had an MCL sprain before he tore his ACL right so there, there are things that can happen. You can be recovered from an injury, but maybe there are some subtle changes, you know, in terms of how your neuromuscular system is working that might just not have quite recovered to their peak and you are slightly more vulnerable to another injury. And I don't know that we'll ever achieve absolute prevention, but we're always looking at those relationships and trying to think, you know. How, how can we mitigate some of these secondary or compensatory injuries as somebody's trying to recover uh, from something else? I will say um, to your point, Matt, about uh, the ankle injuries, we are seeing a lot more high ankle sprains. This is kind of the nemesis of football right now because uh, the high ankle sprains really in the last few years have been on the rise and There's been a a big emphasis by the NFL, especially the foot and ankle committee, which is a subcommittee within the NFL health and safety committee to look at getting players to wear proper footwear. Um, In other words, footwear as part of your athletic equipment, as opposed to something that is just fancy to look at and cool Um, and, and really trying to get guys to get shoes that fit their feet because feet are widely variable in terms of uh, what's going to be optimal. Um, Jones fractures and high ankle sprains are potentially tied to the surface that you're on, uh, having the proper cleats to match that surface, having well fitting shoes, and then of course the way that you're contacted when you're playing. So they're always working in the background to try and address the causes and relationships around these injuries. Um, But there are some things we just don't have an answer for yet.
1: It's funny because now we're going on a short week here. They played Sunday. We're playing again on Thursday in Seattle. Uh, And post-game, after the Bucs game in the locker room, you've got reporters and you also have Ted Rath and Reggie Scott running around the locker room with the bikes. And they're basically already going through recovery mode because they're trying to speed up the healing process, but also getting the body prepared to play on a short week. It's insane to watch even just as the team reporter here, but your overall thoughts on the health of the Rams specifically, because even when these injury reports come in, Stefania, it's like we've got three players tops. One is usually not injury related of like why someone didn't practice versus, you know, the injury reports we get, from other teams, from the Browns
2: a few weeks ago. From the
1: Browns a few weeks, it was like ten guys had something going on. Um, what is like? How, why is this not happening more? What are the? I always tell Reggie, and the
2: Chargers every the Chargers every
1: camp. year, right? Oh, uh, the, the poor Chargers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is something I tell Reggie sometimes. I'm like, Yo, are you doing some magic back there? Like, what is going on, <laughs> man?
0: Well, it's uh You are asking a great question, and I don't know that there's a single isolated answer for it. Because Reggie's a magician. Are, it's just well, Reggie, right? <laughs> you know, pay the man if I can lobby for Reggie. Pay the man.
2: Um, I'll send him that they're, clip.
0: They're, yeah, yeah, send him that clip for me. Um, it's It's multifactorial, and they know it, too. You know, as, as good as they are uh, on the Rams medical staff. And I, I brag about them all the time for the reasons that you mentioned. It's incredibly difficult to have such Uh, healthy squad not coming into the season but as the season goes on that's what's really remarkable you look at them and you go why aren't they getting hurt more often when so many injuries are what we consider random you know how does a guy get hit during a game that then you know one guy goes down and has terrible injury one guy doesn't I don't know that uh, you could say okay it's entirely the medical staff and they would never say that either I think there are a few things and I'm, I'm fascinated by this and that, you know, I'd love to have uh, some grants to study this scientifically, but just from observation, uh, you, you guys do have the benefit of having a relatively younger team. Uh, when you look at some of the teams that are older, like the Eagles are, have a, quite a veteran squad. And you can, you, you think you can see that playing out a little bit. Some of these guys are older um, the NFL is cruel to the body physically. And so as you get older, the more lengthy and extensive your injury history is, the more susceptible you are to future injury. That's just a fact. So, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens as the age of the Rams, uh, progresses as the squad gets older. I did sit down with Reggie and, uh, Dr. Elitrash at the combine, um, for a little, um, interview, about this topic specifically and it was interesting because Reggie's first reaction was credit everyone including you know the top of the organization at the Rams for really buying into their philosophy um in in terms of what they need to do with rest and recovery and performance just sort of their overall philosophy of uh training and and care and he said, yes, you know, we're doing stuff that's cutting edge and research based and evidence based. But the number one thing that he thought was the reason they were so effective as a medical staff was the people. And I really have to second that because it, I've been now, it's not just football, but I look at this and a variety of sports and having worked in, in medicine, sports medicine, I can vouch for it from this, you know, being involved in different organizations and teams you can have all the coolest technology in the world you can have all uh, the gadgetry and and, you know bells and whistles in your training room and whatnot but if you don't have everyone philosophically on the same page and that really runs from the um, the rehab staff the athletic trainers and physical therapists to the strength and conditioning because what they're doing in the weight room has to relate back to what your goals are on the rehab side, especially when a player is coming back from injury, um, to the performance folks and up to the coaches. Because, for example, if the medical staff says, you know, we want to keep this guy light today, we're seeing something, we don't want him to work that hard, the coaches have to buy in and support it. And Reggie really emphasized that everyone's all in. So I think that's huge and it's bigger than people give it credit for. And then Dr. Eltrash added that, you know, the one common denominator from the Rams moving from St. Louis to L.A., is Reggie and that he's really started implementing some things in St. Louis that he brought then to the Rams. And Dr. Elitrash thought the one thing that he's really learned from spending time with Reggie is balancing this philosophy of how to give a player enough exposure to have them ready to compete at a high level, but minimize the exposure that would either not produce great competitive results or could put them at risk for injury. And, that's the balance that every team is trying to achieve and whatever they're doing um, all the different things that they're looking at every week. And you, like you pointed out, getting guys, you know, working on recovery right after the game, knowing it's a short week, those kinds of little things add up to, I think the results that you're seeing and, uh, these weekly low injury reports and keeping guys healthy through the game.
1: For sure. And I mean, you can't say enough about the people that, you know, Sean McVay has like brought in and, and Reggie Scott has brought in to this team. I I have to share this funny detail from the Bucks game, uh, Wade Phillips, Gave I, I now I'm like maybe Wade Phillips is the magician, but Marcus Peters. Um, there there was a a bad read on defense, and and the Bucks scored on on the Rams you know multiple times but one of those times you kind of saw Marcus Peters run into the end zone and there was a little bit of taunting from I can't remember the Bucks player that Mike Evans Mike, I'm like great it was Mike <laughs> Evans I try and forget that um but Mike Evans scored and kind of like walked around the one yard line until he scored but Marcus Peters was very upset when he came back cuz he was just like man like that wasn't that wasn't his it wasn't his fault and it, you know while fans might look at that and be like you messed up on that coverage that was not uh, Marcus's fault And so he's back on the bench and he's upset. We know Marcus is an emotional player. And the best thing that I saw standing behind the bench was I saw Wade Phillips come over to Marcus Peters and gave him a hug. And then you just saw Marcus yeah. sit down and Akib is, you know, doing the big brother thing like, yo, just get it out now. Relax. You're good. This was one play. Hug it out. Hug it out. I mean, Wade Phillips gave Marcus Peters a hug and that man scored a pick six on the next play that he walked out back on the field. So when it comes to people,
2: if I could jump in on this, sure,
1: Matt, <laughs> Yeah,
2: we were filming sounds of the game.
1: Oh yeah. you were. talking. And, about
2: me. <laughs> uh, we had the microphone above Marcus Peters as he's about to run onto the field. And he smacked it and then immediately went and got a pick six. Yeah. Oh, so, so it was it you. Could have it been was us. Wade.
0: That You're right. It, could, whether
2: he, it was the kindness of Wade. <laughs> one of those right. two things or the combo.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, maybe it was both. But you know what? See, actually, you're you're feeding into my point, though, about how hard it is to say, this is response, you know. I, all kidding aside, it's hard to say what's responsible for one thing because often these things are multifactorial. So, you know, could be a combination of things. You're right. That led me right. to going in and having that pick. Keep the balance of Marcus Peters alive. Um, <laughs> outside
1: of Cup, you know, and I'm sure a lot of Rams fans want really to know this. Aaron Donald is another sort of impressive story when it comes oh, to their bodies. You can I'm look at, it. oh, right? Like Andrew Whitworth. Oh. We all are wondering how this large tree is still playing football as well as he <laughs> is. Um, you know, what What impresses you most maybe about Aaron Donald and how is he able to play at such a high level, you know, now? And I believe it's his sixth season as a Ram.
0: Yeah, I, I again. This is a guy who does incredible work, right? I mean, uh, works so hard in the off-season. There are a couple things about him. Uh, One is just the way he's so effective. It has so much to do with his speed. And, you know, some of that, uh, maybe it's just great genetics, but we know that he... um, I'm sure you guys saw the New York times article that was done on him prior to the Super Bowl last year, talking about some of the things he works on in the offseason with his trainer, you know, scooping up tennis balls and all these, these quickness drills that he does, but his speed off out of his stance is unreal, you know? And so he gets up and gets moving and becomes a threat. So he's in the face of these opposing quarterbacks so quickly. And to see, I think what's uh, impressive and, When I was at camp this year, I was watching him very closely because it's hard for anyone to move so quickly, but I think we're impressed more so when someone who's, you know, 6'1", 280, which isn't the biggest in his position, by the way, but it's a lot bigger than me, for example. (laughs) You're not that size, Stefania Crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe closer to 280. Definitely not 6'1". Enough french fries. I can get up there, Stefania. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you know I have I can't be that quick in my best day and I used to run track so I'm, I'm always really intrigued by quickness and quickness drills and one of the things that uh, makes Donald so special is the fact that he's able to be so fast while he's still so imposing and he works very hard at that but um, he's been remarkably healthy throughout his career and and if you look at his streak of playing in games. It's really quite remarkable. And even already this year, we know he had a little issue with his back, but he did not miss any time and, um, has, has played very effectively regardless. So I think it's a testament to his off season workout regimen and the intensity of it. And And then going back to what the medical staff does here, when, when you get in season, you cannot be, uh, working on your strengthening at the same level that you're working at it in the off season. I think that's one thing I see when I look at different teams is some guys are getting so uh, just gassed in their strength and conditioning workouts that they're really struggling uh, on the field. And I will tell you, um, you know, I don't think it's a secret that last year, the Arizona Cardinals, there were some struggles because they were pushing so hard there was a sentiment around the team that they were just dead by the time the season started. Mm-hmm. And you saw it quite frankly in the, in the way that they played, they had a lot of injuries at the outset, they were struggling to get through games. Uh, so there is quite a bit, this just goes back to the formula of the medical and training staff um, and strength and conditioning and performance, like every element of it is geared towards, not just week to week here in the, in the 17 weeks that we see in the NFL season, but in the off season as well. And how do you optimize player performance when you get to the time where you really need it?
1: For sure. And you actually mentioned this earlier. We're going to move actually from news from the Rams to news from around the NFL. You mentioned Drew Brees specifically. Um, there was a popular video on Twitter this week that came out showing Drew Brees Doing Mm -hmm. his thumb exercises on the field. Um, What is he doing, Stefania? (laughs) For those who are listening to this podcast and they're probably driving in their cars, don't look that up right now.
0: But for visual reference, it looks like he's because it's fascinating.
2: It looks like he's trying to audition to guest DJ it in Vegas this week.
0: Right? (laughs) It's like,
1: oh yeah, I'm going
0: to play. Like, what is he doing? Well, I was thinking about, like, when you know... Remember those thumb... What did they call them? Thumb thumb wars? When you have, like, you know, when you take somebody's hand, you flip-flop the thumbs, like thumb wrestling. Um, It kind of looks like that. But you saw him wearing a splint there. Obviously, the splint is to protect uh, the repair and the thumb, kind of hold it in what's a neutral position for the joint, but still allow him to get some motion. So it's not like he's in a calf where he'd be completely immobilized. He's got a splint that allows him some range of motion, even while he's in it for that thumb. And you saw him doing exercises where he's moving his thumb up and down, trying to get the motion all around of the joint. And then even doing some things where he's doing forearm movements. Like I I think he was turning his palms up and down and kind of moving his forearm, but all the muscles from the forearm cross the wrist. And so as you're restricted from doing a lot with your thumb, some of those muscles aren't getting the work that they normally would. So even just by going through those motions, He's stimulating that. And then by getting on the field, it's amazing. But that there's a lot to that because you're back in the field and, and you can see he looks incredibly focused while he's doing it. You're getting in a football mindset. Mm. What do I have to do here to get? And it's really putting your body in like a prep mode, like a virtual reality, if you will. Yeah, You know, he's stepping onto a field. He's got the sound of the pregame coming in. It's getting your mind in a football setting and then challenging your son while you're doing that. And it's actually a great training concept. That's so, uh, you're totally right. You know, I mean, there's nothing the like re- live. <laughs> yeah. And and the thing is that um, one of the things athletes will tell you is that when they're rehabbing and they're away, now, sometimes we want them to be away because they need to go and focus and, you know, in the early stages of something. Uh, trying to of an example but even like let's say an ACL tear it's just not safe uh you can't be on the sideline you're not you have to be medically cleared by the way post-surgery to be on the sideline I've seen I'm, I'm going off on a sidebar but this is important to say I've seen people see players up in owner's booths or you know some suite at a stadium during the game and like oh yeah they're kicking it up there and they're not down on the sideline supporting their team you have to be medically cleared to be on the sideline because as you guys are well aware uh, a lot happens at a high rate of speed down there, and there's big bodies flying. And if you're not paying mm-hmm. attention, uh, or you can't see, and you get hit, and you're there and crushed, and you could just end up completely destroying the repair you just had. So um, that not everyone can be around the team initially after surgery. And in, in Drew's case, for what he had, he obviously had clearance to be there, and um, he didn't go the first game. Recall, he but he he was there the following week and. Uh, he is a guy who knows a thing or two about rehab because he was had one of the worst shoulder injuries that you'll see on the field. Um, if you go back and find the video, if you're not familiar with it, you could see his shoulder when he dislocated was basically stuck in this funky position um, where he had this unusual dislocation, a significant labral tear. And there were people who thought he would never play football again. And after this extensive surgery that he had done by Dr. James Andrews, he worked with the folks, uh, Kevin Wilk, who's an awesome sports PT down in Birmingham, Alabama. And those guys have told me that uh, Kevin and the people who rehabbed with Drew, that he might be uh, the most amazing, uh, diligent athlete they've ever worked with. Mm. And so if you consider all the folks who've gone through that place for rehab, that's saying something. And as soon as I heard that he was going to have to have surgery, I was like, he'll be back. And if anybody will be the timeline again, the goal is not necessarily to be the timeline. You want to make sure things are properly healed, but if anybody could optimize his performance, where when he comes back, I'm not going to be worried about him. It's him. Put him in like the Cooper cup bucket of guys who are doing everything they can to get back and get back. Right.
1: I was thinking the same thing. Um, Another story coming out of the NFL so Vontae's will no longer play this season. Um, my biggest question is, <laughs> is this leaving a lot of NFL medical teams breathing a sigh of relief? <laughs> like how big of a statement is it by the NFL for players' safety?
0: <laughs> well, I think what was really important about the statement because people, you know, we saw some hits that were pretty frightening this weekend and then some debate afterwards about, uh, you know, like with Josh Allen going down with a concussion, it was like, well, it was not, you know, he clearly Jones was trying to turn his shoulder. You know, there's a lot around these helmet-to-helmet hits that we look at, trying and trying to determine intent gets uh, kind of into the weeds, I think, especially when you're talking about a game that's going at, you know, such a fast pace. But when you have a repeat pattern of behavior, I think you have to address it differently. And that was clearly in the statement from the NFL uh, to Devontae's perfect about his suspension for the remainder of the season, that there is a pattern here. This is not based solely on that event. This is based on these consecutive hits. You've been warned. You've been fined. These, you know, uh, you've been ejected from games and you're not changing. And if you look around the league, we know it from uh, the data. I mean, they're collecting data on concussions. Concussions are down overall. And it, it has really put the spotlight on some of these helmet-to-helmet hits, and I think we cringe more now when we see them because we know what the potential consequences of these head injuries can be. So um, I applaud the league. I don't know if it will stand. You know, he has indicated he's going to appeal. We will see. But the statement is there, and there's just no place for taking a flying leap at someone.
2: Well, shout out to An the An
0: ace-to-helmet. So it's not going to not gonna be there anymore.
2: Shout out to the league and to Helmets for improving the safety of everybody. Let's uh, move on to Serena's social segment and get some happy moods going. So recently on Twitter.
1: (laughs) I don't know what that was. No one does, Stefania. Nobody knows,
2: but it's provocative. Gets the people going. Um, Okay. Recently on Twitter, we have seen self-driving trash cans, robots doing push-ups, robots doing gymnastics,
1: so the real question is: Do we think we could ever see a player with a robotic body part? And I mean, I don't want to ever think that a quarterback would have to go against Aaron Donald, who's got like Terminator something because he's already Terminator in some regard. <laughs> Maybe you, I mean, no, Matt thinks that Pat, Pat Mahomes-, Mahomes'
2: arm might be robotic. <laughs> that thing can sling.
0: Well, uh, he might just entirely be. I mean, I've just never seen anything like him. I feel less to be able to be watching in this league. But your question is a, a good one because I actually think all seriousness. Um, if you look at where robotic advances are in medicine, maybe, uh, and I go to someone, you know, like a traumatic injury. We saw a Dolphins player. I can't recall his name at the moment, but he had to have his arm amputated. Um, above the elbow, I believe. I'm, I'm trying to recall this off the top of my head, but it was this year prior to the start of the season um, after being in a uh, we're, very... you looking
1: it up, Stefania.
0: Yeah, in, a, in an automobile accident. Kendrick and, Norton? Kendrick Norton. Yes, yeah, Yeah. That uh, sounds right. So um, there are some advances in the world of robotics, and I'm not saying that this would be for him, but his case makes me think of the potential for someone who loses a limb, um, but, you know, we're seeing such advances in terms of basically a transplant, but you're putting a robotic arm. Right. Cause we're not talking people. about prosthetics here. Like this,
1: I mean the way technology is moving, but it's also like, is it unfair? Like, are yeah, we does then that become
2: an advantage? Like if I stiff arm you with a, a, a piece robot- <laughs> of technology that literally cannot bend.
0: <laughs> right. right. Well, that's the thing is, you know, I, and I don't know that they, that the integrity of, a, of a, some kind of, uh, transplanted, um, extremity would, would be as good as the original, to be honest. Um, and the, the NFL has rules, right? We know, by, by the Odell Beckham Jr. Watch situation, <laughs> that there are rules about, you know, how having hard objects that are in contact with someone. So even when it comes to, like braces and things like that, you see them, they have to be covered, um, by, because they're, you've got titanium in the brace. They're covered by the pants and the socks. So, um, but I, I wouldn't say never say never, because I think that could be the way that things, are, that things are going. You might see someone play with that, with that has essentially a robotic extremity or component of an extremity.
1: That'd be exciting to see. I'm just going to tell. Uh, but I'm I don't know
0: if it'll happen. In, I don't know if it'll happen in our viewing sure. <laughs> time. But you know, assuming the NFL goes on in perpetuity, maybe. <laughs>
2: Robot Football League coming
1: 2085. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, last question, Stefania. I've asked every um, guest that comes on the pod, because we get together and we do what we do because of the game of football, what would you be doing if football did not exist? Sleeping. That's the best answer. Steve Weish agrees,
2: and she'd sleep
1: right. Like Steve Weish was like, "Oh, I would probably drink wine and be a sommelier." Oh, that's that's a better answer. Yeah.
0: (laughs) No, sleeping wins all the answers. The the first thing I think about uh, when I wake up every day is when can I go to sleep again? And and then I then the answer comes to me sometime in January or February. Like that's, you know, it's just so, it's weird, right? It's seasonal. You you can appreciate this. You go through this time frame where you're just constantly sleeper deprived because there's games happening three days a week. And when you get to playoff time, it's, you know, it or close to playoffs, at the end of the season, you start getting games on Saturdays too. And it's like, it just goes on and on. You, you, you love it. You sort of have this love-hate relationship with it because you love what you do. You wouldn't give it up for the world but you feel like you're just running on fumes by the end. So um, that, you know, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me is sleep. But if you want a serious, you know, serious answer, if I would, it's hard for me to imagine. I actually probably would be doing something academic because I love academia. That's the nerd in me. I mean, I was in academia when I taught in a physical therapy program in two different programs. And, and I, I loved it. I love being on a university campus. It's so stimulating. Uh, but ESPN's campus is kind of like that. Me too. I'm always learning. And mm. I, I actually love what I do because I get, get, to stay very involved in medicine. So I'm always learning. And that's, that satisfies the nerd in me, but without football, I'd, I'd probably be doing some other some other sport. But I don't want to think about that soon. I really don't. I love football.
1: We'll change it. Just that's it. With football or nothing, you're sleeping. Uh, Yeah, I'm hibernating. (laughs) month <laughs> exactly no um that's it i hope we all kept you guys awake there's no sleeping in football for now stefania that's it our 10th episode of rambling appreciate you coming on the pod today and don't forget rams fans if you haven't heard we've got another great podcast rams revealed hosted by the voice jb long make sure you check that out